It's June 30th, 2021. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio, where we'll serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And first up, we'll have Samantha Ruiz here from High Soup. And she's going to tell us about the next High Soup event, which is uh, partnering with Code for Hawaii. And then uh, we'll be joined by John Garcia, founder, CEO of Exchange Avenue, and he's here to tell us about non-fungible tokens, digital assets, and cryptocurrency, so please stay tuned for that. And of course, right now, I want to welcome Samantha Ruiz, who uh, has been on the show before, but uh, she's calling in for this one, and she's here to tell us about the next uh, High Soup event, and it's with a very uh, familiar organization that I, I love and support, Code for Hawaii. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Hey, Bert. How's it going? Good, good. So, uh, you know, I think uh, you were saying that uh, it was a couple of years ago that we had you on, and uh, probably back then it was uh, in the studio. And I, I hadn't really heard uh, much about uh, High Soup until the announcement of this uh, partnership with, with the Code for Hawaii. So was it uh, was the pandemic sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of hard hit on, on, on High Soup? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could say that. It was actually a nice natural pause. Um, the last one that we had done was at Vivi uh, in partnership with Nella Media Group. And, um, you know, we were, at that point, we were still thinking about what, what was to come. Uh, we hadn't really thought about, or when I say we, I'm referring to the soup team, we hadn't really thought about which organizations to partner with next. And then the pandemic happened. And it was, uh, like I said, a natural pause to the event space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know uh, the idea of getting soup and you know hanging out in in uh, in a uh, meetup or gathering. You know, it, it's just a, a great sort of in person kind of event. But you know, when when you're doing it virtually, it's a little bit more of a a list a logistic challenge. But nevertheless, I think you are. Are going full steam ahead, and and uh, so what's this next uh, one coming up with Code for Hawaii? What's the what's the game plan for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I will say I think uh, what was nice about the pandemic was that we were able to use it as this uh, like extended strategic planning session, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to really think about how we wanted to engage with the community once things started to reopen. Um, and although we're not there yet, uh, we felt like partnering with Code for Hawaii. Uh, you know, next week was going to be a great opportunity to kind of relaunch soup and and the focus that we want to have on impact this time around. And so, um, so high so, soup yeah, has oh god no high soup has a has a f- uh, focus on some of the socially conscious kind of uh, tech tech nonprofits that are are really trying to do good, leveraging tech for social good. Yeah, that's what this soup is going to be about. I mean, we soup is, you know, I like to refer to soup as a model that any organization can use and leverage to engage their members or uh, ideate in a different way. Um, and, and when we decide to partner with a specific organization, we really turn over the reins to, to that group to kind of design the soup in, in the way that fits their organization the best. And so this time around, it's going to be focused on projects that are using tech to build awareness, create community, create connection, uh, and it's going to be led by Code for Hawaii and, and their team. And so what's the, what's the format? I mean, what, what is it that the Code for Hawaii has come up with to 
benefit from the the soup donation and what do they want to achieve? Yeah, so this one's a little bit different. I think what what you know when when in the conversations that we've had together, uh, the the drive for them is really just to get community members to be aware of all of the really great work that's happening in the tech space in Honolulu. Um, I think, you know, sometimes when you're in your own world, it can feel a little isolating because it's, it's your world. And so they're hoping that this platform, the, the event itself, will allow for people who might not be familiar with Code for Hawaii or be familiar with other tech projects in the space um, to just get a sense of what's going on and uh, see if there's ways to get involved or just support by participating in the event itself. So what's the what, what is the format? Are they are they uh, gonna have some companies? I mean, what's go, what's what's the? Can you yeah, set so the expectation so for the night? Yeah, totally. I'll I'll give you a, a run through from what I would think is going to happen, um, but don't quote me. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> but if you so if you buy a ticket, you're going to have the option to pick up or have soup delivered. To your home. Uh, the soup is going to be made by Mud Hen Water. And uh, upon pickup, you'll get a little kit to bring back to your house. You'll log on to Zoom. Once you get onto Zoom, you're going to be in a room with everybody else who's attending. Uh, there's going to be a quick keynote from actually one of the Code for Hawaii alums um, to kind of set the stage and talk about why tech is important in this day and age, um, you know, the, the power behind tech and how we can leverage it for community impact. And then uh, we're going to turn it over to three projects. They're going to give a six-minute pitch on what they're doing and how they will use the funds that the community raises. Uh, and then we will open it up for a Q&A period. So for anyone who's attending, you get the opportunity to dialogue with these, these presenters to learn more about their project or get a sense of of how the funds will be spent or what their vision is for the future. Uh, And then at that point, we'll take a quick pause. I think we're going to highlight a couple of organizations um, that are in the tech space and and also work with Code for And then come back and have everybody log on and virtually vote for the project that they think should receive the community chest. Ah, okay. Uh, Sounds good. So then, uh, so then yeah, they. So that's really the flow. Yeah. So then, uh, it's like a, like a little kitty. Everybody puts into the kitty, and then uh, exactly. everybody then does. Uh, they they do their presentation. They get the they get the poll. They get the results. They get the money, and then they party. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So this is uh, this is great. So this event is taking place on the seventh of July, which is next Wednesday, and and <clears throat> people can go to where to sign up isoup.org. Um, you can RSVP. It'll link you to the Eventbrite page, and there you have it. Sounds good. Mahalo, Samantha, for joining us. Thanks, Bert. And, of course, we'll take a short break, Thanks, and Bert. when we return, we'll be joined by John Garcia from Exchange Avenue, and he's going to talk about non-fungible tokens, digital assets, and cryptocurrency. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. 
Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm happy to welcome John Garcia, founder and creative director of Exchange Avenue. And he's here to talk about non-fungible tokens, digital assets, and cryptocurrencies. I want to welcome John to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert. Thank you so much for having me all the way here in California. Hey, I thought you was in Kaka'ako. What, you know, I'm usually in Kaimuki, Ahupua'a, Palolo, but today I'm traveling actually on behalf of uh, you know, the, the indigenous communities of Hawaii, you know, our Native Hawaiians and also the Internet Society here in Temecula. Hey, that's terrific. So what exactly are you guys doing? Because, uh, you know, you've been up uh, supporting the Puhonua, Waimanalo uh, community network and, and getting, you know, mm-hmm. getting involved with the Internet Society. And, and how do you, you know, how, how is this, what is this trip, well, what's the significance of this trip? Sure, definitely, Berto. This is all about connectivity, you know, specifically indigenous connectivity. And what it comes down to basically is seven out of 10 residents who in the U.S. who live on U.S. tribal land, um, they don't have any access to broadband internet. And so um, what the FCC did was they launched an effort to, um, to bring the underutilized spectrum band of 2.5 gigahertz mm-hmm. and repurposing that for access in tribal areas. And what this will do is this will give um, access to people who need it the most, especially in indigenous communities. Not only here on the U.S. mainland, but you know throughout uh, throughout Hawaii and, and other places in the world. So, uh, you guys going to be kind of like doing a little retreat boot camp on on 2.5 gigahertz, uh, uh, mm-hmm. en- engineering and installation. So, when you come back, you'll be able to set everything up over here. So, I think that's going to be exciting. And and uh, yeah. uh, I know there's a, there's a lot of work, and we gotta you know I think we're going to have you back on to talk about more of that specific topic you know when you when you mm-hmm. do get back but you're 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 here on the show talking about uh, non-fungible tokens and you know that's a topic that has been uh you know it sort of got a lot of attention uh maybe a couple of months ago and and it, it was uh, uh a new form of of perhaps uh selling digital assets but can you help uh kind of demystify what exactly is a non-fungible token and maybe maybe start start into the elements of of how does that uh, really affect or or impact the regular person on the street sure yeah definitely it's a it's definitely bleeding edge you know um it's also non-fungible tokens are also known as nft Mm -hmm. and it's essentially it's a tokenized digital currency that's built on blockchain technology that allows an asset owner so an owner of an item to be real or virtual, to capture, store, tr- and transfer value between peers on the blockchain network. And so um, an NFT is a way to represent basically anything unique as an Ethereum-based asset. And NFTs also give a lot more power to content creators, artists, um, and they're powered by smart contracts on the Ethereum blockchain, which means that you're able to specify how these currencies um, behave um, you can you can include unlockable content within them that actually um, allow and they extend things like uh, royalties and um, and other unlockable content beyond the purchase. And so uh, we can talk a little bit about some case studies, but that's what an NFT is in a nutshell. It's a, it's a digital token. Um, and there are platforms and exchanges that house these tokens and allow people to actually um, offer them up for auction and then also display them within a collection, which is all in this effort to to exist within the multiverse. So, so let's unpack a little bit of what you just said there. You, you yeah. mentioned you th- uh, Ethereum, and Ethereum is a cryptocurrency, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's much like uh, what we also hear about, which is like Bitcoin, 
what 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 is the difference between like an Ethereum and a and a Bitcoin? So Ethereum and Bitcoin are arguably two of the most popular digital tokens. Um, Bitcoin being the most popular. Uh, Ethereum it runs on something called Ether, and um, and that's part of the Ethereum network. It's actually they're they're very similar. They're both digital currencies that are traded via online exchanges. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. difference basically is. Um, Processing speeds, the way that um, the two tokens, is sort of like a dialect, right? Um, there's small nuances between the two. Adoption rate, who's using it, um, and that can affect sort of the value of of, of these NFTs, really. And so, um, so when we hear that, about when we hear about Bitcoin and the and the price fluctuating based on you know Elon Musk's latest mm-hmm. tweet. Uh, it is some somewhat of a, a volatile uh, area to to start looking at actually putting some investment into. I mean, at least for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Sure, there have recently been some um, sort of some some stories that got out there about NFT values dropping because of the the value of Bitcoin. But it really transcends the sort of the fiat market as far as what dictates the value of these. Um, whenever you're playing around in the NFT space, you want to mint mint a token that's that's the process that one takes uh to lock their asset into this digital space you have to actually mint the the nft mm-hmm. um there are fees that come along with that in order for you to to facilitate the the process within the ethereum network so if you understand a little bit about how blockchain works it's it's basically a network of computers that are processing these micro transactions that allow these uh, these cryptocurrencies to be decentralized, which means um, there's no like middleman regulating it. You have quicker access to the capital, and um, and with NFTs specifically, you can do really interesting things like royalties, smart contracts, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. when you say yeah. when you say minting, uh, are yep. you are you minting a Bitcoin or or what are you what exactly are you minting? Sure. When you mint something, um, you're basically you're creating a token. You're not creating your own cryptocurrency. You're minting an NFT that it basically serves as like a, an ownership uh, paper. It's a digital, secure digital ownership um, token that mm-hmm. says it can only have one owner at any time, right? And so this makes it more secure. Um, it it utilizes the blockchain security method that makes it immutable and and impossible basically to um, to fund essentially, right? So right. security. It also gives cr- the creative a lot more freedom in, in how they um, offer up their art and to who they offer it to. So is the is the um, minting process? The, do you end up with the an Ethereum, uh, uh, you know, valued coin as a result of minting, let's say, a digital asset? Uh, because mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a thing that you have to. Uh, Obviously, the asset is something that you purchase, and then you purchase right. it with a you know with a cryptocurrency. But in the in in this description of of minting, uh, what is that is that process of you using your uh, cryptocurrency to purchase a digital asset? Is that is that what you're referring to as minting? Sure. So it depends on what the item is, right? So if you're a creative, or let's just say you, you could you could be anyone. If mm-hmm. you have an item, it mm-hmm. could be an heirloom. It could be a piece of art that you drew. It could just be a, a video clip that you took. If you go through the process to, to mint it, all it all it says is you're creating a record of authenticity on the on the blockchain, and you're creating a, a basically a file. You're uploading the image, or you're uploading a representation of what it is, 
And then these NFTs are stored within your wallet. And so there are a number of different platforms that allow you to mint NFTs. The one that I use is called OpenSea. Mm-hmm. OpenSea is a, it's a platform. Uh, it's an exchange. It's a place where you can um, where you can display the NFTs that you have. Some of the more um, popular NFTs have been sold for over fifty million in Ethereum, like worth in, in Ethereum. And it's really interesting to see how um, how people are displaying the things that they're collecting from from different cultural and creative influencers out there. Um, celebrities are also getting involved with purchasing art, and, and it creates a, a different kind of connection between um, the person who is choosing to, to purchase this asset or this ownership token and what they do with it in, in perpetuity. Well, you know, one of the, uh, one of the th- uh, items that got a lot of uh, media attention was, uh, I mean, I know there's a number of them, and, and Jack Dorsey, <clears throat> who's the, uh, one of the founders of, of Twitter, actually put his first tweet up for sale as a as a um a digital asset and mm-hmm. i don't know i think he he sold it for uh, i don't know upwards to a million plus and and so you know it really i yep. guess it really depends on what the digital asset is and and maybe uh, obviously some of the celebrity mm-hmm. of of whoever is that's selling it and i i know there's yeah. a, like a like basketball you know nba stars that have uh, put up some of the video clips and 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 sold it for mm-hmm. quite a bit of money. So there's a, yep. a really a great kind of like a marketplace that's forming as a result of these uh, uh, NFTs. Correct. It's it's also changing the way that the market um, does commerce. I think you know, for instance, the Mavs are offering season ticket holders an NFT now, where um, there's actually like you said, exclusive clips in there. You may have access to maybe a live stream with you know like an exclusive press conference. Um, there are some really interesting NFT efforts coming out of the indigenous space. I had an interview a few weeks ago with a publication called Talanoa, and we were talking about an, a platform called Zed Run. And Zed Run is actually a horse racing platform that utilizes digital tokens to, um, to distribute, trade, collect, sell like, virtual horses. And these are, a lot of these horses are based on actual horses that existed. They ran races, and so... Every horse has a different characteristic in its speed and its stamina. And so these NFTs, you can keep them, you can hold them, you can collect all these different horses, and they're, they're sort of digitally created by this organization that does this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can trade them. And once, let's just say they release 50 of these dead run horses, they're only going to do that drop. And once they're, in the, once they're out in the wild, then um, that's it. And so this contributes to the value of the NFTs. This contributes to... Um, how collectible they become. Um, and then there's a platform also that allows you to display all the horses you have. Then you can actually compete against other people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do. pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I, I think you, um, you hit on something there, which is the kind of like a marketplace and where these actual digital assets get, get displayed. And, and then it starts to create the, you know, the interest on other collectors, you know, wanting to perhaps trade or, or buy into that. And so I, I do want to I want to give you an opportunity to talk more about the the kind of the marketplace and and especially with some of the, the creative assets that you've uh, actually personally created and how you might consider this uh, new new NFT platform a way to you know, do some transactions. So we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back at this short break to continue our conversation with John Garcia. 
from Exchange Avenue, and we're talking about non-fungible tokens, digital assets, and cryptocurrencies. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe on HPR One. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to John Garcia, not uh, uh, in Hawaii right now, in California, mm-hmm. uh, ready to mm-hmm. uh, get involved with a Indigenous Connectivity Boot Camp. But uh, for now, we're talking about yeah. non-fungible tokens and digital assets and cryptocurrencies. And right before the break, uh, John, you were describing about a you know a um, a way of uh, an indigenous tribe, you know, uh, taking uh, pictures of, of 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 historic, I guess, horses that have run race and and and, mm-hmm. and making them collectible and and not only collectible but you know, <clears throat> creating a like a marketplace that you can now uh, purchase and and show and and I think it, it really really all these digital assets need a marketplace to showcase what it is that uh, is being produced. So tell us more about these marketplaces. I mean, and, and, and what have you seen across the survey that you've uh, uh, looked into this uh, non-fungible token arena? Sure. I think a lot of these technologies in the early stages are built on trust, right? How can we trust them? They're so volatile. What, like, how do, we, how do we manage them? And so these marketplaces play a big role in, in how comfortable I think you feel with minting the items and collecting them and stuff. Like I mentioned earlier, I use a platform called OpenSea. Mm-hmm. There are a number of different ones. What I liked about OpenSea is that it seemed like the type of assets that were there um, were more in line with some of the things I'm interested in as a photographer and as a creative. I think a big part of uh, exploring the NFT space is understanding how it applies to you, like what, how it even fits. Before before the show, we were talking about how it's a little bit fuzzy, kind of like woo-woo. It's, it's sort of like, okay, so what do we do with this asset? But these exchanges really help to make um, the items easier to see and manage. Um, on my OpenSea account, you can actually go there, search John Kealoha. You'll see the tokens that I have or the NFTs that I have within my collection. Mm-hmm. And right now, I have three photographs that I've minted for myself, which are photographs that I took in New York City. And then I have another NFT that I purchased that uh, it's called Special Block. And all it is is, is a digital photo that was generated by computer and it almost looks like um it's just colored blocks mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. like 50 of these were minted and created and i actually didn't have to pay anything for that asset i was able to purchase it for zero ethereum however i had to i had to fuel the transaction and so this method or this this terminology is where the term gas comes from so, so, so wait wait wait, wait, wait. what was that ter- what was the yeah. term again gas Gas, yeah. So you actually have to put gas uh, onto the transaction oh. in order for it to be powered <laughs> okay. by the Ethereum network. And so in order for me to purchase this special block, Pixel Block, it's called Pixel Block 8x8 number 2. It cost me about 60 bucks USD. Mm-hmm. So I had, to, I had to purchase Ethereum, load it up to my wallet, go to the special block, and then make the purchase. And then, and then that happened. Now, in order for me to sell this collection of photography that I have here, it's a series of three photos right i actually have to pay the fuel i have to pay the gas fees in order to put this on the market so there are some barriers of entry and there are um there are other exchanges that are coming out with uh, sort of gas less transactions and they're becoming a lot more efficient but it'll cost a couple hundred dollars for me to put uh, for 
me to put these NFTs up on the market for sale, either as individual assets or as a collection. Now, the benefit with, com- with purchasing this collection is I'm actually giving digital rights to the photo itself. Mm-hmm. So you receive a full-resolution image of, of each photo that gives you the rights to do what you want with it. Um, uh, it also includes an actual hard copy framed version of each photo. that's matted and it's signed one of one. I'm not going to produce this any ever again. And so this was a way for me to say, okay, I have my assets that are locked here. If I want to offer them, I can. Um, but, but I needed to see how this might apply so that if I'm working with anyone else who um, wants to get into the space, I know, I know I have the rigor behind me, you know, to right. understand it. So, so John, you just said that uh, your your doc, I mean, your photo is signed one of one, and mm-hmm. and that's and you also mentioned the the trust that needs to be established with you know uh, acquiring these digital assets. So the idea is that there's you know the the purchaser needs to trust you that there won't won't be a second one of one of the same photograph. And how does that yeah. how does that uh, how does that trust network get established? I mean. You know, somebody purchases it and says, "Well, you know, I, I trust John, but uh, is that is there a way of of um, uh, establishing a value mm. to the trust in terms of you know built up trust over time? How how does that work?" Sure, I think there's two ways to look at it. I think a lot of people are getting to NFTs for commercial purposes, right? So mm-hmm. there's a way to to sort of jump on the system and then garner a whole lot of value from from the from the trend. And then there's sort of the archival purposes. It's more of a digital sovereignty movement of um, taking back agency of how uh, creative assets, intellectual property, even real estate, even virtual items in some in some instances, um, how they're how they're stored and how they're how they're responsibly um, exchanged. And so I think if I were to sort of create these knockoff NFTs or uh, you know, then it will probably deter people from wanting to collect NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um, from me, you know, as an artist. Um, and so I think everyone has a different reason to get into it. You know, um, people are actually starting to display their their NFT collections within the multiverse, which is essentially, a, it's a second life, it's a virtual, virtual world that people are actually investing real USD to buy land, to build buildings, to showcase their NFTs. And, and, uh, and, and it's called the multiverse? Called the multiverse. Oh, I, I should yeah. <laughs> I will check it out. So so John, I mean, how how long did it take you to really kind of get up to speed with all of what you just described? Sure. So I mean, because you're a smart guy, focusing... so I I would have to multiply that by you know however many years. But uh, how long did it take you to get started? <clears throat> yeah, you know, I I think that my twenty plus year career has been a culmination of moving towards how we how we exchange between peer to peer. And, and how we connect and organize um, the way that we evolve as a society and as a, as, a, as a culture. And so it wasn't until probably about two years ago when I started really getting to this world of digital economies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so in launching Exchange Avenue, we're in exchange for goods and services without the use of fiat currencies. And so you could, you could literally go on there and exchange Aloha. And oh. so this idea of how can we tokenize things that we see value in and offer other people, uh, offer a share of that to other people. And so I look at them really as a vehicle, it's a vehicle for us to, to store value, compound value, and then um, do stuff with it. Well, that's, right? that's, and so yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, yeah. No, that's great and great. And, and, and if people want to find out more information about uh, 
you know, Exchange Avenue or the or work you're doing with uh, uh, NFTs, where can they go? Sure. So ExchangeAv.com. Um, that's everything about our Ahupua-inspired economy uh, that's built for peer-to-peer social exchange. And, um, yeah, that's a good place to start. Okay, you know, sounds good. And see what we're doing there. And- well, thanks, John. I mean, I'll put that up on our show notes for later on. John is the founder and creative director of Exchange Avenue. And, of course, I want to thank him for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk to Nalu Scientific about small business innovation grants. If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. And you can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You stay safe. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.